Show. All about golf, from putting to driving, from hooks to whatever. Now, here's your host of the Back Nine Boys Golf Show, Rich Styles. Welcome to the show. The Back Nine Boys Golf Show is brought to you by Bridgestone Golf. Try the Tour B Ball today by the club at Seapalms. By RSM, proud sponsor of the RSM Classic, giving back to our community. By Club Car, leader in sport, utility, and personal vehicles. And by CJ's Italian Restaurant. Check out their full menu, including their deep dish and thin crust pizzas, at cjsitalianrestaurant.com. We've got a great show for you today, and our first guest is going to be Jeff Fages with the Georgia State Golf Association. Uh, Jeff, good morning, and welcome to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show. Hey, good morning, Rich. It's always a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to talk about what we've got coming up in our 2024 competition season. My gosh, you have got a lot going on. Why don't you start with what is the first thing coming up? Yeah, first thing coming up is actually uh, starting today. Our first competition of the year is our Georgia Mixed Team Championship that takes place over at Sea Island Golf Club, uh, right near to you. Uh, we're playing the Retreat and Seaside Golf Courses. It's a mixed team event. We play one round of modified alternate shot and one round of four ball. Um, it's a little early in the year, so the weather, weather is always a little bit iffy, but uh, we've got a full field of 60 teams, and we're excited to get this 24 season underway. And 60 teams, how is that compared to last year? Same as last year. It's a full field. That's as many as we can take. Okay, awesome. And how do people qualify for this GSGA men and women's uh, tournament? Yeah, so this mixed team championship, because of the popularity, it's been growing so much since we've been at Sea Island for the last uh, four years or so. It, it's, uh, it's a lottery. So um, we opened up entries back in November and and leave it open for a month. And then December one, we do a lottery and, and decide the 60 teams or randomly uh, through our, our lottery generator. And uh, people are able to go ahead and make their reservations and, and get excited about, uh, about the start of the 24 season. And what's on the line for them, Jeff, what are they playing for is if, if they win this, do they go to another tournament on another site? They're not going to another site, but they are a state champion. Um, we're actually excited to introduce a perpetual trophy this year for this particular event. So their names will be in, engraved on that forever, and uh, they will be state champions. Wow, that would be kind of awesome. Um, and there's 60 teams, and where are they all coming from? All over the state. You know, one of the interesting things with this tournament is is several clubs actually put together groups of four or five teams they make it a nice little club trip um but uh, yeah we've got people all the way from from south georgia and to north georgia and everywhere in between well it looks like a, as you just said a full field of uh, mixed teams and uh another exciting time to be played over at sea island what else is on the calendar for 2024 jeff well rich one of the things that uh we are really excited about is we are starting a new event at the end of the season. It's called the C Lane Williams Invitational. Uh, Lane Williams was our GSGA senior director of rules and competitions for over 30 plus years. My mentor for about 16 of those years. Wow. And we're starting a new event to, to honor him and, and 
uh, all of his achievements and accomplishments and, and his dedication to the game of amateur golf. He passed away, uh, unfortunately, a couple of years ago. But this event is modeled after the Sandbelt Invitational, which is an annual event event held in Australia that was started by Jeff Ogilvie. And really what it is, it's a 36-hole event. And what we're doing is we're taking, uh, we're inviting four players from each of 10 different categories. So men, women, seniors, super seniors, mid-ams, and juniors. And they're all competing against one another. So each category is going to have their own set of tees to play from. So it's, so it's a, a fair competition. But, you know, mm. come that final round, after after round one, um, that final round, you could have paired together a a super senior woman, a junior boy, a mid am male, and um, you know a mid am female. So we're really excited. It's it's going to be a it's a really unique concept. It's been very popular over there, and we're looking to really become the first uh, golf association in the country to hold an event like that. So. We're playing it at Atlanta Athletic Club for the first round and then playing it here at Bobby Jones Golf Course, the home of GSGA, for the final round. And and for those people that aren't aware with Bobby Jones Golf Course, it's a public facility here in Atlanta where our GSGA offices are. But um, it's a nine-hole reversible golf course that was, that was designed by Bob Cup. So we're going to play the reversible routing for that final round it's a really it's going to be a really unique experience we're really excited to get this underway um and provide something to those players that uh have, have had a great season competing in gsga competitions one of the things that i find really interesting is your choice of doing the bobby jones golf course on the reversible nines um it just it just seems so neat to be able to do that and uh, I've never done it before, but I, you know, obviously would like to. Have you ever played a course like that? Well, the the golf course is is right behind my desk right here where I'm talking to you this morning. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's uh, we have played the reversible routing before, and uh, I have to tell you, Rich, it it still confuses me. Uh, you play nine <laughs> holes one direction, and then you turn around and and go the other direction, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's it is definitely something unique uh, for sure. I know a lot of people enjoy it. Um, I enjoy it. I just have a hard time getting started when I make that. You know, when I turn myself around, it's really not that easy. But uh, we're we're excited to have it here. Um, we're going to have the award ceremony in our uh, Georgia Golf Hall of Fame room afterwards. So we're really excited. That's coming up November eighth and 9th at the end of the year. Um, Atlanta Athletic Club is going to be the host for round one. We're excited for that. They're one of the premier facilities just in the country, period. So um, we've got some amazing, uh, amazing sites and and look forward to to holding this event that's going to honor Lane and all of his contributions to amateur golf in Georgia. And which course at the Atlanta Athletic Club are you going to play? We're actually going to utilize the Riverside course, which was renovated a couple of years ago. Um, yep. You know, so many people are familiar with the Highlands course where they've played a lot of uh, a lot of professional majors over the years. But Riverside is is spectacular now. Um, they, they did an amazing job with the redo and we're really excited to to uh, test that out for the first time. And actually, Riverside is going to be the host site for the uh, the USGA's U.S. Girls Championship coming up in 2025. So we're going to give it give it a first look in competition. 
Yeah, I got a chance to play uh, uh, Riverside uh, about three, four weeks after Trip Davis got done with the with the redo, and uh, it was fantastic. And uh, I think everybody is going to enjoy that golf course. It's going to test every club in your bag for sure. That's the way to do it. Yeah. Um, so what else is on the calendar, Jeff? Well, we're also, uh, Rich, we're really excited about uh, continue, continuing with our men's and women's club championships. Uh, we used to run an interclub program, which was more regionally based and clubs played in pods. But we're, we're making a little pivot on that. And we're hosting some men's and women's club championships. So each club in the state of Georgia can, or GSGA member club, can submit a team to enter the event. It's four men uh, in the men's event and, and women, four women in the women's club championship. The men play one round of uh, alternate shot and one round of four ball. And the women play two rounds of four ball where we do gross and net scoring. We've got some tremendous sites this year. The men's club championship is going to be at St. Ives Country Club, which is up here in, in Johns Creek in the metro Atlanta area. That's in September. And then the women's club championship is is going to be played at Sky Valley Country Club, which is up in uh, North Georgia. That's going to be at the end of October, which if you've ever been to North Georgia in the end of October, it's up in the mountains and the the views are absolutely spectacular. Just a stunning fall setting. Um, the golf course was redesigned by Bill Bergen a number of years ago, and he did an unbelievable job. Uh, just a great facility. So. We're looking forward to those two events uh, towards the end of the year. Entries will probably, they open up sometime in the middle of the summer. I bet June, I'm guessing. And uh, we look forward to having some some good fields. Teams can submit, clubs can submit more than one team. So we look forward to a full field there and uh, some great championships uh, later in the year. Yeah, that really sounds like uh, a lot of fun. And uh, how many teams will there be uh, in in those tournaments? Yeah, we can take. Uh, I believe it's 20, 20 clubs in those in those events. Okay, okay. And you've had then. It looks like it'll probably be a pretty full field too. Yeah, we'll we'll fill those up no problem for sure. Yeah, and, yeah, then, and then finally, you've got some exciting qualifying changes with the U.S. Amateur, the U.S. Women's Amateur, uh, Junior, and and Girls Championships. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, of course. A couple of couple of really great things coming through with USGA qualifying this year. The first one is the US Amateur is going to two stages of qualifying, US Sam Local and US Sam Final, which is very similar to how the US Open is is set up with two stages. But the thing that's really got us excited here in Georgia is that the USGA has implemented some exemptions for four of their championships for Allied Golf Associations for their state champions to be exempt into a national championship. And uh, we're, we're excited to announce that we have earned those championships. So our Georgia junior boys champion, junior girls champion, our Georgia amateur champion, and our Georgia women's amateur champion will all earn exemptions into those respective USGA championships. It's, um, it's just tremendous. We're looking forward to it because it's also going to help us uh, strengthen our fields because it's a way to to get that exemption and not have to go through the qualifying stages, which are just an absolute brutal grind playing against the best players all across the country. So uh, we're excited to have those exemptions. We've uh, publicized, communicated that to our membership and heard a lot of great things. Um, just got off the phone yesterday with um, 
parent of a of a junior junior player who's played in uh, a number of national events, played in a lot of AGA, AJGA events over the past. And they're excited. She said, you know, we're going to focus on a state schedule this year because we're so excited about uh, about this exemption into the U.S. junior. And, and we're we're uh, fired up about that. It's going to hopefully strengthen our fields. And it's nice to be able to provide that extra extra exemption and dangle that carrot out there to the winners. You know, Jeff, through the years that we've talked, it just seems like uh, the junior program and the women's programs are growing at such high levels. Um, what do you attribute that to? Is it the opportunities that GSGA is allowing or giving, providing to these juniors and women? Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, our offerings are just going through the roof as far as uh, the opportunities that we have. Our GSGA Junior Tour runs over 150 events throughout the course of the year. They do spring events. Obviously, the summer is the busiest, but they do right. spring and fall events. And we're also, I'm not sure if you're aware, but uh, recently it was it was announced that um, the USGA is is starting a U.S. national development team. And Georgia is one of the pilot programs for that. So we're going to have a state team here in Georgia starting in 2025 that's going to feed into the U.S. national development team. So the opportunities are are, are through the roof and, and certainly um, the game is growing, uh, thankfully, these days at a very rapid pace. So we're, we're excited about the state of the game right now and the opportunities not only for juniors, but for all of our GSGA members that are out there. And Jeff, how has this affected your membership? I mean, your membership has to be increasing with with the number of events that you're having um, and the championships that you're holding, especially the golf courses that you're having the events at. Yeah, our our membership over the last few years is really skyrocketing. We're over 95,000 members right now. I remember it wasn't too long ago where we were closer to 80,000, 85,000, but we're over 95,000 right now. And uh, yeah, it's it's growing. You know, COVID, COVID was not good for a lot of things, but one of the things it was good for was to uh, infuse um, more people into the game of golf. And it, it really has not let up since then. So we're excited. Our, our entry and participation numbers and not only our competitions, but our casual play days, um, as well, have just been incredible the last few years. So we're seeing a nice, steady incline, and and really pleased with where where the state of the game is at here in Georgia and the opportunities we're able to offer our members. Yeah, I just think it's fantastic. I mean, uh, I've I've been a member for a couple of years. Uh, your events are are really neat. They're at some great places. And why don't you tell our listeners how they can become a member if they aren't already? Sure, absolutely. Um, the easiest way is go to gsga.org. We have a membership membership section on our website where you can join for $49, and that's your membership for the year. There's tons of great benefits. Um, additionally, if you are a member of a private club, you're going to become a member of GSGA. But if you're a, a daily fee public course golfer, you can go to your local club and join there as well. So lots of ways to do it. We um have tremendous benefits would love to continue to increase our membership and uh increase our our impact on the state of georgia well jeff fages thank you for being with us uh for 
and telling us all that's going on with the Georgia State Golf Association, which obviously there's a lot going on. Uh, just check out the website, gsga.org. And uh, Jeff, uh, thanks for being with us. Sure thing, Rich. Thanks for having me. Look forward to talking to you later in the year. Okay, we'll be back with more on the Back Nine Boys podcast after this. This is Steve Henneman with Tech Tech Tech, and you're listening to the Back Nine Boys podcast. Welcome back. I'm Rich Stiles. We're going to talk with Allison Fillmore, who's with business development for the PGA Tour. And Allison, I really appreciate you being with us today. Well, I'm excited to be back on your show, Rich. Thank you for having me. I am too. You've gone from the executive director of the Tour Championship to business development for the Tour. Pretty big change for you. Very big change from my previous role, but in my current scope of business and what I've done in my career, not very different. Um, previous to the PGA Tour, I did the same thing at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Um, so I'm very familiar with uh, working with partners and selling partnerships. It's really just about uh, working with your client and finding out um, what their what their issues and problems are with their business and providing a solution in order to fix that. So it's been a lot of fun um, in the current role, and, and I'm excited to, to see what 2024 has in store. Yeah, I bet it. It's pretty exciting. So what do you look for in a sponsor for a PGA Tour event? Sure. Well, so our our business is fueled by two different types of uh, partnerships. First is a title. So those are the names of the events that you see out there. So the AT&T Pebble Beach Pro-Am is sponsored by AT&T, and that's the title. Uh, I work on official marketing partnerships. So those are exclusive year-long partnerships that create awareness for a business. Uh, so recently, uh, an, a partnership came through to me, Luggage. That was something that I worked on with our team, and they were creating a brand new golf line. So it was perfect storm for them to partner with us, with the LPGA, to announce that new golf line and create awareness for those uh, for those assets. So. That that's really what I focus on. I, I look for companies that that love to be involved in golf, uh, are looking for a targeted audience that is affluent, that is educated. That's what our fan base looks like. And um, and, and innovative, right? So we we try to work with our partners to create new opportunities on and off the golf course for our players um, and for our the amateurs coming through the ranks. And we're really excited about what 2024 is going to have for us. Are there any other big changes coming as far as sponsorships for 2024? Or are you now working for 2025? You know, honestly, we work about a year, year and a half ahead. Uh, so I would say nothing new on the horizon coming. You're also always going to have ideas that come to fruition that um, that we can work with partners on. But Currently, we're focused on 2025 and beyond. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Let's let's talk about what's the big news is this uh, this big uh, three billion dollar deal with the Strategic Sports Group. Uh, can you tell me more about that? You know, we're pretty lucky to have uh, this group of investors that want to partner with the PGA Tour. Um, it's it's an important moment for our fans, for our players, and for our partners. Uh, this is just going to make us better. We're going to collectively strengthen the our our tour to really create more opportunities for our players. 
Um, you're going to see a really, really exciting change. Just, you know, you've got money that will be uh, brought into the business, money that will be brought into our athletes. And this is pretty, uh, pretty instrumental when it comes to this type of partnership. I don't think there is a league out there that really provides equity for their athletes like, like we will. So I'm really excited to see these guys and how they're going to look at this new um, partnership with SSG. Um, I know that it's going to help us be a little bit more competitive on the business side as well. So whether it's looking at um, securing additional um, areas of our business, whether it's making our tournaments better, whether it's, you know, making our business better. Um, I, I'm really excited to see what the future holds for uh, this investment uh, with SSG. And who is SSG? <laughs> That's a good question. There is <laughs> a lot of, a lot of, a lot of <clears throat> folks that are involved in this. However, uh, it really kind of starts with the Fenway Sports Group. Uh, you've got quite a few entities like the Boston Red Sox, Liverpool FC, Pittsburgh Penguins, RFK Racing, Boston Common Golf, along with some other partners. Then you have uh, Stephen Cohen, who is the chairman and CEO of the Mets. Uh, he owns TGL New York. You've got Arthur Blank, uh, my former employer, which I'm really excited about. Uh, he obviously was the co-founder of Home Depot. Um, partner in PGA Tour Superstores, uh, owns AMB Sports and Entertainment. Um, you've got some other folks from Fenway Sports. You've got the vice chairman of the New York Mets. You have the Milwaukee Brewers uh, founder, Mark Atanasio, uh, Wick Rausbeck, the co-founder of the Celtics. You've got uh, the owner of TGL San Francisco, um, it is just the who's who in sports. Right. You have about 200 years of experience on this panel, and um, it's going to be an, inc an incredible uh, opportunity for us here at the PGA Tour to work with this group of uh, smart entertainment business folks. So how will that all be set up? Will Jay still be the, the CEO of I guess Correct. it's now the, the PGA Tour Enterprises. How is that going to be set up? PGA Tour Enterprises will consist of the commercial side of our business. Um, there will be board spots for some of the members. Jay will be the CEO and president of, of Enterprises while still holding the commissioner of the PGA Tour. Um, and then you will have board members that are players, board members that are have business interests as well. So uh, there will be, you know, some oversight on, on what we're doing, which is which is really exciting to be able to drive additional revenues for these folks. Obviously, they're investing. They want to see a return on their investment. So sure. we're excited to be able to put together new programs to do that for them. But the PGA Tour Enterprises uh, and that board is going to be different from the policy board that that has been around for a while with the, with the players. Yeah. Correct. Okay. Okay. And there will be a mixed match of some, um, but it will be different. Okay. And I also read that there's uh, the PGA Tour Enterprises now has a valuation of about $12 billion. Is that because of all the other things that the people that are involved with uh, the SSG are involved with outside of this group? 
SSG, and then you've got all of our, our media deals, all of our sponsorship deals, things of that nature. So yes, it's um, putting a lot into one. Um, I don't, I can't really speak to the exact number of 12 million and what that stands for, but there's a lot that goes into that, I'm sure. Yeah, I'll bet. All right. So here comes the other question that I'm sure you've been asked and it's always been in the news. So now what happens with the with PIF? Well, I, I still think that that's on the table, right? Um, we haven't said, no, we're not doing a deal with them. I, I think that those talks are still in uh, are, are currently being had. Um, I think that this one kind of moved a little bit quicker just due to the location and, and uh, proximity. So uh, there are still conversations. And look, Jay said last year that we were working um, to get to a framework agreement. And, and from what I understand, we're still in that process. So I'm um, looking forward to when that, that will come to fruition as well. So what should we read into, Allison, the fact that everybody thought that this agreement with PIF was going to be at the end of the end of the year. And yeah. I haven't heard much about it coming up here in 2024. Um, has it just been made quiet, not uh, reporting anything or and and will the PIF governors still be involved in in the situation when that arises? So the goal of the framework agreement was to get done by December 31st. That was a goal. It wasn't something that what had to be done. Right. Um, it took a little bit longer. It's taking a little bit longer for us. It's a lot to get uh, to get figured out within six months, right? So we are taking our time really working, doing our due diligence when it comes to everything that's going to go into this deal. And... Truly, we're still having conversations. Uh, from what I understand, nothing is changing uh, based off of the news reports and such. Um, however, I think we're we're taking this one slow, just making sure that we're doing crossing every T and dotting every I. Um, so I I'm I'm proud of how we've we've taken this opportunity and really dug our heels in uh, to try and figure out what's the best opportunity for the PGA Tour. Yeah, it seems like, you know, various players have made comments like, I thought we were going to have a deal. They're talking to people, the players that are on the policy board of, you know, what's happening, what's going on. It just seems to be a, a mixture of opinions as far as that's concerned. Yeah, a lot of information out there, um, but, you know, we're just kind of taking it one day at a time and waiting for the correct information to come out before I can really say yes. Yeah, understand, understand. So how will the PGA Tour players benefit from PGA Tour Enterprises? So they will have an equity stake within the program or within the organization. Uh, the details have not been finalized as to what that looks like. But to have a say in what your business is doing is something we all want, right? Sure. Um, so for them to have the opportunity to really be able to shape their own futures is really exciting for them. Um, I'm, I'm interested as well to understand a little bit more on how that will shape their future, but um, looking forward to getting that information kind of once everything settles down. I think there's a lot that has to go into that. So um, I think we're still all waiting on a lot of information. Yeah, un understand. I mean, there's just a lot of talk out there. there there's still talk that the feud between 
live and the PGA Tour is back on. Um, obviously, the John Rahm incident was yeah. um, was right on top of that. And uh, uh, a lot of people think that uh, LIV and PGA Tour will blend together. And I, I, I personally don't see that happen. I think there's too much in between. <laughs> it, it's two different products, right? Definitely two different products. Um, so, uh, look, it, at the end of the day, uh, I, I work for the PGA Tour and PGA Tour Enterprises. And um, that's what I'm excited about working with moving forward. Um, I don't know what is going to come to fruition when when there is a deal done with the PIF. Um, however, we are um, a welcoming organization, and I'm excited to see what the future holds. It's look, we were yes surprised a little bit by the whole John Rom um, leaving to go to live, but at the end of the day, that was his choice. Right. And currently we are, you know, building, building our bench of players. As you can see, we've got some amazing kids that are coming out of the collegiate ranks with Ludwig Eberg. Like he was two, he was um, in second place this week at Pebble behind, right behind Wyndham Clark. You know, he won at the RSM. The kid was carrying his own bag at the NCAAs last year. <laughs> so it's, it's it's really cool to see his trajectory as he has kind of come through the ranks on PGA Tour University. Then you got Nick Dunlap, who won sophomore in Alabama, that won the Amex. It's the the talent that's coming out of our pipeline is incredible, and <laughs> excuse me, okay. um, those that choose to leave are, are leaving behind a pretty pretty extensive legacy. Um, so. Uh, the future is bright for for these young players that are yes. coming out of PGA Tour right now. Yeah, and you know, I've I've talked to a couple of players, and the difference between staying with the tour and going with Live is that you're giving up that legacy part, and uh, it, it's totally focused on. And some of the players that went to Live were honest about what they did; they made it for the money. Yeah, uh, but yep. but they're giving up that legacy part, and I think that's just too important to to give up definitely something that they have to weigh uh, that I'm sure they weighs hard on their mind when they're thinking about it. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, this talent that's coming out of there, uh, you know, with Dunlop and Hebert and stuff, I mean, just incredible talent uh, just coming out of the colleges. I mean, they come out of college, they're in college and they're ready for the PGA Tour already. Right. It, it's it's crazy, uh, you know, being out at Pebble Beach and got, got a chance to see Nick, um, followed him for a little bit, but um, these these guys are good. Not to quote a former PGA Tour ta marketing tagline, yeah. but um, they they are really good, and they just keep getting better and better. And the platform that PGA Tour University provides them is the opportunity to get onto to the PGA Tour faster than ever before. Right. You know, previously it was, you know, sitting on a, a different tour for a couple of years, potentially making your way through, you know, now the number one on PGA Tour University automatically goes to the PGA Tour. Two through nine and get onto the Corn Ferry Tour and 10 through 25 automatically get onto PGA Tour Americas, you know, not playing Q school or anything like that. So it's, you know, it's a direct path for these youngsters to really make a name for themselves sooner and faster than they ever had before. 
Yeah, you're so right. Allison, thank you for uh, taking time to be with us on the Back Nine Boys, and I appreciate you always and enjoy talking with you. Thanks for being with us. I always enjoy being with you, Rich. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, everyone. Jay Green here, PGA Tour caddy. You're listening to Back Nine Boys. And welcome back to the Back Nine Boys podcast. I'm Rich Stiles, and we are with Mike Hicks. Mike used to caddy for Payne Stewart and several others. And Mike, uh, welcome to the Back Nine Boys podcast. Thank you, Rich. And, uh, pleasure to be here. So I was at the 99 U.S. Open that Payne won. Um, you and Payne were together for 12 years. How did you and Payne get together? Well, um, you know, I, I met him in 82 when he turned pro. Uh, his, uh, his caddy at the time was one of my closest friends. So I got to know Payne through Rob K was his name. Um, so I, I, I knew Payne, I don't know, five, six years before I started working for him. But after he let Rob go, we were uh, we were in Japan. I think this was 1986, 87. I think it was it was the uh, it was the fall of '86, and I was over there with Curtis Strange. Uh, we were in Japan, and uh, Payne had fired Rob, and he brought this guy out uh, that had never caddied before. So I was kind of part time with Curtis at the at the time. Uh, myself and a guy named Don Wanstall shared shared the job. So I worked half the events. He worked half. So I wanted something more a full time basis. So I went up to Payne and said, "Hey, if uh, this doesn't work out with this guy, I'd like a shot at the bag." Well, this guy lasted a couple of months. Uh, Payne came to me in May of '87 and uh, said, "Hey, you want to try it for a month?" and uh, see how it goes. I said, sure. So month turned into 12 years. Wow. That's a great story. How was it working with pain? Uh, because when you started working with him, uh, he was not a man of faith, at least not that a lot of people knew, but later on he became very strong in his right. faith. Right. Um, early on the first few years. Yes, it was, uh, you know, it was kind of a up and down with his emotions and his personality changed day to day. He was never, uh, he was never a one to blame or one to get upset with, with me on the golf course. But, you know, you could tell his, his, uh, you know, I always said, depended on what side of the bed he woke up on is what kind of <laughs> mood he day. So, but yeah, the last, uh, three years of his life after he, uh, you know, gave his life to the Lord, uh, you know, totally, transformation you know total transformation just uh pleasure to be around every day yeah i mean i as i said i watched you guys at the 99 u.s open um let's talk about that final sunday at the u.s open in 99 and you and Payne. it was not a great day weather-wise uh tell us a little bit about what happened on that day with you two well um <clears throat> you know like you said it was a uh, unseasonably cool uh, for a June morning, uh, mid June morning. Um, you know, I want to say it was probably 64 or five degrees light mist. So it was, uh, you know, it was cool. So he, he started out, you know, the mist was heavy enough that he needed a rain jacket. So we're on the range warming up and, you know, Payne was a field player and the, with the jacket on, he just wasn't feeling it with his swing. So he came up with the idea of cutting the sleeves off the jacket. 
uh, hence the sleeveless rain vest <laughs> was born that day. Huh. Uh, so I the pro shop, got scissors, he cut the sleeves off, and, uh, you know, he never took that vest off all day. Um, and how so, was it that day? You know, it um, – <laughs> Thank God the wind wasn't really blowing too hard. Uh, so it was it was more of a, you know, overcast. You know, the ball really wasn't traveling as far as it had been. Um, uh, you know, and that morning, you know, I, I was commuting. I was living in Mebane, North Carolina. So it was about 68 miles away. So I was commuting uh, pretty much all week. And I left the house that morning and I uh, told my wife, I said, if we make four birdies today, we'll win the tournament. And we made four birdies. Wow. Uh, so, uh, you know, U.S. Open, uh, especially when you're uh, when you're leading or right around the lead, you know, it's a, it's a sleepless night, Saturday night. Um, you know, you don't sleep much, put it that way. Uh, so, I mean, but you know, the, the, the year before in 98 at uh, Olympic club had, you know, Payne proved to himself that he could still contend uh, and play against the, you know, the tiger woods and the Phil Mickelson's of the world. <clears throat> Duval was number one in the, in the world at that point. So, you know, but he proved to himself in 98 that he could still do it, still contend. Um, so we went into 99 with a lot of confidence. I mean, uh, even though he'd missed the cut the week before, um, I think he was, you know, kind of thinking ahead. And actually, it was a blessing we missed that cut. That tournament didn't finish till Monday uh, because of rain delays. We got in town. Uh, we, you know, started preparing on Saturday. So um, by the time Wednesday rolled around right before the first round, Wednesday before the first round, uh, we basically took Wednesday off, so he was prepared, well rested. Uh, you know the 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 stars all aligned, if you will. Uh, yeah. That that week, yeah. All right, let's talk about the last two holes, the par three, and then the eighteenth par four. Uh, talk to us a little bit about what was going through your head, how he was during those last two holes. Well, you know, we were we were going into that 17th hole with some, you know, that we just looked like we were going to go two shots behind on 16, and we end up walking off that green even because we made an incredible par, and Phil made a, a, a out of the, you know, just an off the charts bogey. He made, he made bogey 15 feet from the hole in two. Um, wow. So you know, it was a two shot swing there. So now we're standing on 17 instead of two behind. We're even. And, um, you know, it's 197 yards, I think it was, or, yeah, I think it was 80, 87 or 97. I think it was 87. Um, and he hit a six iron, you know, what, three and a half feet from the hole. But for Phil to step up right behind him and hit the seven iron as close as he did, too, I mean, that just says a lot about Phil. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of guys couldn't, after somebody st stuffs it in there, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to pull that shot off and, uh, you know, hats off to Phil. He did. Um, but, uh, you know, so that, so, no, so Payne stuffs it. Phil hits a great shot misses. We make now you're going to 18, uh, you know, with a one shot lead. And, uh, he hit his drive on a really good line down the right side, but he, 
he didn't quite hit it solid, thinned it just a hair, and it came up way sh- you know, short of the fair. Well, not way short, probably three or four yards from carrying into the fairway. But the worst lie we had had all week, we got up there. He didn't even he didn't even ask for a yardage to the green. He said, "What do we got to lay up short of those cross bunkers?" And um, so I gave him the yardage. He pulled an eight iron out, hacked it up there. I think we had for our third shot. I think he had about seventy-seven yards. You know, which is to a back pin. That's a that's a tough yardage. Yeah. You know, you don't want to fly it back there and risk going over. So you know, he hit the. He hit the shot that you had to hit, you know, 15, 20 feet short of the hole. So, I mean, and then makes the pot, I mean, just a storybook ending, you know. What an ending. You're right. I mean, he just ran or you just ran into his arms. You both embraced a pretty cool picture, pretty cool ending. Yeah, for sure. Um, Talk to me a little bit about um, a few weeks later. Um, you were Payne was scheduled to go to the tour championship, uh, yeah. but but you did not get on that plane. Why? So you know we're at Disney World. Um, we missed the cut, and we were uh, Payne was supposed to play in Arnold Palmer's pro am on that Monday. Now you okay. know he's he's the uh, he's the reigning U.S. Open champion. You know, big draw for for Arnold's Pro-Am. His agent gets a call. Payne's agent gets a call on Friday night, I guess it was, from a group out of Dallas that were, they wanted to, they're going to, they were going to build a golf community. Payne had just gotten into the, to the design business, played golf at SMU. So they wanted him to come and look at this property. So Saturday, Payne calls Arnold and, Get, tells him the scenario, hey, I got a chance to go look at this property, blah, blah, blah. And Arnold said, uh, okay, no problem. Um, so that whole thing was a spur of the moment. I had my family with me at, uh, at Disney, so they were at the parks every day, blah, blah, blah. I was going to fly them home Sunday night. That was the plan all along. Fly them home Sunday night, Monday morning, fly to Houston. That's exactly what I did. Payne's whole situation, like I said, was, you know, spur of the moment. He was supposed to be in Orlando on Monday playing in Arnold's Pro-Am. Right. And, um, you know, went the other way with going to look at this property. So there was never, ever any chance I was going to be on that plane. And tell me, you're in Houston. You're waiting for Payne to come in. And then all of a sudden you hear the news. What was that like well, for you? I'm on the ninth hole at Champions. I'm walking the course. Um. I'd walked eight holes. I'm on the ninth hole. I get a call from the director of golf at my club in Mevin. Said, hey, uh, there's something wrong with uh, with a private jet. And they think it's a PGA Tour player. And they think it's Payne Stewart. And I said, what? I said, yeah. I said, ah, you're full of it. Five minutes later, Tracy calls. Payne's wife calls. And mm-hmm. true. So I immediately... Uh, Went back to my hotel room and uh, staying with Fluff that week. Fluff, uh, we both sat there and watched it on CNN. Uh, watched the the ghost plane, as you will, till it till it crashed. So it was, uh, you know, it was a surreal, 
situation. It's all you can say. But yeah. thank God I had one of my closest friends with me to, you know, because obviously the emotions were high at, the, at that point. Yeah, very much so. I mean, everybody was glued to their TVs, wondering what was going on, how it was going to end. Yeah. Uh, unfortunate ending, uh, for sure. Um, and what was your uh, reaction? I mean, I know you were sad about that, but how long did it take you to kind of get back into the groove of caddying after that? So I um, obviously didn't work any anymore. I mean, that was October 25th. There were we were scheduled to play in some some, some special events, uh, you know, the rest of the year, right? Which which we obviously didn't happen. But um, I didn't caddy again. I started the year out um, 2000 with uh, Bob Estes. Started with him on the West Coast, caddied for him for about seven months, worked through the British Open. Um, and, you know, and then uh, to be honest with you, Rich, I never really ever found another job that uh, yeah. that I, you know, got along with the guy. Everything was perfect. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I would go a year here, two years here, two years there. You know, Jonathan Bird was probably uh, – Probably the closest I got to any of the guys. Love Jonathan Bird, great player, uh, better person. Um, so I enjoyed yeah. my time with him. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, it was hard. It was hard finding uh, – and I never did. I never found another uh, another player that uh, I got that close with. Yeah, understandable. Yeah, Jonathan Bird is a great guy, uh, not yeah, only on the course, but more importantly off the course. Um, yes, uh, just uh, one of the one of the one of the great human beings on this planet for sure. You, you got that right. One more question. Got about a minute left. Tell me about your uh, experience with uh, Grayson Murray. Well, you know, Grayson. Uh, <clears throat> I grew up. My son grew up playing junior golf with Grayson. Um, so I watched Grayson play when he was nine years old, and for Jake, my son's first tournament, he was paired with Grayson. U.S. Kids Club uh, tournament. <clears throat> and uh, so I watched Grayson play when he was nine, and I knew right then he was going to be really good. And uh, throughout uh, throughout his junior career, his college career, he actually played on my son's college team. It was one of his stops at East Carolina for a semester. Um, so I knew Grayson for a long, long time. And then when he, when he turned pro, uh, uh, his father and I, you know, I knew his father real well, so they wanted me to caddy. So I went through the school with him, and he got his corn ferry, and I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go over there with him. But then he got his tour card, and I, I started with him. And and Grayson was, you know, Grayson had a lot of demons and a lot of uh, mental issues um, that he'll be the first to admit. You know, now now he's given his life to the Lord here in the last six months, right? And, right. And you see. Uh, you can see what's happened, you know, yeah. uh, you can just see, uh, you know, I'm not out there anymore, but watching it on TV in Hawaii, um, you could just see a different Grayson, right? I mean, the way he acted, the way, re the way he reacted to a bad shot. Um, but, uh, the Grayson situation, uh, he was top, top 10 talent in the world. I knew that, but Mike, I've got about 30 seconds. If you can. Okay. Just 
but he just had to uh, find himself, you know, and, and luckily he gave his life to the Lord. And now uh, he's going to reap the benefits, I think. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, Mike, thank you for uh, going back uh, to a, a, a great experience with Payne, Jonathan Bird, and, uh, and what you went through. We appreciate you being with us on the Back Nine Boys. Okay, Rich. Thanks. Hey, thanks a lot. You've been listening to the Back Nine Boys Golf Show with Rich Styles. Go to backnineboys.com for all things golf whenever you want it. We'll be back next week with an all new Back Nine Boys at backnineboys.com.